there. Pull up a chair. This indeed is about money, 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 right? Um, I have, well, thank you for joining me. I have, a, I'm going to focus on one thing today. Robert RFK Jr., okay? Um, he's running for president. Americans need another man like RFK Jr. or another woman, however you want to look at it. But first, um, because in this <coughs> clip, in his own words, he is talking about the expense of nuclear. It is very expensive. One has to continue questioning. Why are they so into nuclear if it is so expensive to actually produce electricity? And while we're on the subject, can somebody explain to me how this electricity gets moved around <laughs> from those nuclear places to those power plants? So, um, because yesterday, actually I'm finding these um, discussions to be very interesting. I, I, I'm kind of amazed at myself, right, saying that I'm finding these discussions by professors and nuclear to be interesting, but I am. And yesterday I was listening to this series about how to make nuclear bombs, and it was interesting. And what was very, very fascinating was this part, is that, of course, he said that all nuclear facilities can also make the proliferation the weapons, right? And then it dawned, oh, and then he also made a very interesting comment. He said that nuclear plants use a tremendous amount of electricity to run them. Okay, so now you got the high cost of running them <laughs> with electricity. You got the high cost of building them, right? And then my brain kicked in. I thought, now wait a minute here. This is making even more sense because... I've been talking about them using those nuclear plants to also make nuclear weapons because, of course, they can do both, right? But is both the point here? Just think for a second here, right? Why would they need to go to the effort to actually make the end weapons when the end weapon is that plutonium? See what I'm saying? Because they can use that plutonium for smart meters and things like that, right? So inside of that nuclear plant, that plutonium and nuclear energy, those are the weapons, right? So why would they need to put them into like bullets or anything, right? Because if the idea being that nuclear plants are like sitting time bonds, sitting around countries and different places and stuff, well, they wouldn't need to uh, make it complicated, no, would they, and go all the way into making the weapons if the idea for the nuclear plant is to get cheaper plutonium for them to use, because they don't really care about the cost, because what, what he also talks about, which I want you to pay attention to, are the subsidies, okay? This is a very subsidy-driven business right now. All the sharks are out getting the money from nuclear, just like they all were out getting the money from electrical vehicles. This is the landing spot. But in this case, they are also making these nuclear plants, right? But they will be done at taxpayer expense, if you ask me, because that's how it's already been working. Because he also, in this talk, will talk about the insurance, saying that, well, if they could insure them, why wouldn't they do it on their own? Well, because I believe it is about the money, right? So first, before I play the clip, what's going on with his voice is this. He has a condition called spasmodic dysophenia. 
they say is exceedingly rare, affecting one in a hundred thousand, okay? The disorder affects the muscles and the larynx, and um, which causes voice breaks during speaking and can make the voice sound tight, strained, or breathy. Uh, in some severe cases, spasms may occur on every word, making a person's speech very difficult to understand. Now, RFK Jr. has that voice, and so does one of his cousins. Here's what I think, because remember, I've been on this hormone transgender thing for a long time now. It goes to their voice, these hormones do, right? Because if you'll notice, pe people like the Kardashians, they speak with a little bit of it, they, they call it, a, they have that sound in their voice. At the end of the day, really, by listening to these people, my ears kind of buzz from it all, right? Um, so anyway, so they get that voice because the hormones hit the throat area, okay? That's why they get those weird looking throats, okay? And go look at my files. Um, oh, while I'm at it, go look at my files under transgenders and um, it's all there. So anyway, so here's why I think that Kennedy and his cousin both have this because Logically, it makes sense. The Kennedys live on the East Coast, right? They logically have a team of doctors who have been giving them their hormones because once they transgender, like RFK Jr. is a female who they've been giving testosterone to present as a male, okay? And unfortunately for him and his cousin, they got that voice. So, yeah, so I believe, and remember, I'm certainly not a medical doctor, but I believe that it's from the hormones. And it would also make sense that in their regional area, those team of doctors, obviously, <laughs> you'll notice some teams of doctors probably give them too many growth hormones. Like look at Trump's kid, that fake kid of his, Barron. He's obviously getting a lot of growth hormones, right? So this is all just an experiment on us, and they're also experimenting at the same time on themselves. So this is really about the subsidies. Um, and. Um, they measure these um, amounts that they use to describe how much electricity costs and stuff, okay? And I'm not going to go into it. I will give you the name of it. It's called the LCOE tool, okay? L-C-O-E. And it supposedly examines the cost and performance of electricity grids, okay? not our point here today because I don't believe these nuclear places are for um, electricity. So then we have to question, well, if they're not for electricity, then why the extraordinarily high cost for electricity coming out of nuclear plants? You see where I'm going with all this? So let's go ahead and let me just play this clip and I will I'm trying to set it up so I don't interrupt him because it's complicated to try to hear what he's trying to say. And it's interesting, this interview, because these are all CIA interviews, right? Scheduled probably by the people at DARPA, so. The hosts are intent on pulling him back into nuclear, but the whole clip I found fascinating, so I want to share it with you today. So here we go. Oh, it'd help if I had it on, wouldn't it? <laughs> Well, I gotta tell us about myself. At least I'm consistent with screwing up my audio, now, aren't I? Okay, let me see here. Oh, I'm in our office. 
Yes. Okay, now I got it. So let me get to where we start. I heard you talk a lot about corruption. We were talking here about corruption. I was surprised, though, you did the interview with the All In podcast. I knew that you were against nuclear power. But you were talking about something interesting, saying that we should have... Let me start at the beginning here. That's important when you start that. 80% of that goes to treating chronic disease. Mia, I heard you talk a lot about corruption. I was surprised, though, you did the interview with the All In podcast. I knew that you were against nuclear power, but you were talking about something interesting, saying that we should have effectively a completely free market energy system. And I guess I wanted to talk you know, with somebody whose father and uncle famously supported major public initiatives, which didn't necessarily pay out, which would yield massive dividends in the future. Why should nuclear, solar, wind, or any power, honestly, float outside of public support systems if the overall social benefit of, of it unlocks economic potential. I'm just curious for the well, objection I mean, uh, cost I, alone. I don't, you know, I think the market is the best, but I mean, here's the thing, is you know, we don't have free market capitalism, let me just say Or that. free market energy, no, right? That's why it's a product. We have, yeah. you know, we have the, the energy, the rules that come in the energy industry are written by the incumbents mm-hmm. to, you know, to, uh, to benefit the, the, the dirtiest, filthiest, most poisonous, most toxic, most warmongering fields from hell, rather than the cheap, clean, green, wholesome, and, uh, and you know, efficient fields from heaven. In, in a true free market, true free market promotes efficiency. Efficiency means the elimination of waste, and pollution is waste. Mm. In a true, a true free market would require us to properly value our natural resources, and it is the undervaluation of those resources that causes us to use them wastefully. In a true free market, you can't make yourself rich without making your neighbors rich, or without enriching your community. What polluters do is they make themselves rich by making everybody else poor. Certainly. They raise standards of living for themselves by lowering quality of life for the rest of us, and they do that by escaping the discipline of the free market. You show me a polluter, I'll show you a subsidy. I'll show you a fat cat using political clout to escape the discipline of the free market and force the public to pay his production costs. That's what all pollution is. When the general, when a you know, when a, a coal company burns coal. At, you know, and, and sells it, for, for example, in North Carolina, 16 cents a kilowatt hour. We have the award, two cents in, in the evening. We have the sense that we're getting the cheapest energy possible. But the, that coal generation is poisoning every freshwater fish in America with mercury. So they're externalizing that cost, which is the cost on all Americans. They have sterilized every lake on the high peaks of the Appalachian from Georgia to northern Quebec. That's a cause of coal that they don't tell you about. There's a half a trillion dollars a year in, in asthma attacks, pulmonary and respiratory illnesses associated with ozone particulates from that, those emissions. That's a cause that they should be forced to internalize. I don't think there's any debate here. I'm more focusing on nuclear. Thinking, well, nuclear. Like, I, I agree with all your criticism, which is why you know, I, well, I believe well, very I, much in a nuclear power future. And that's where I was surprised to hear you say that we shouldn't pursue a nuclear future and instead go in the direction of wind and solar, where we don't seem to have the same level of renewable energy production and actual efficiency if we look at the way, the amount of power that we can get out of these 
um, out of these systems. When they are properly constructed, I will concede a lot of the problems uh, with the yeah, prior yeah, system. Let me say it at the outset. The problem with, with parapower, like, um, uh, like wind and solar, is not that we don't have the generation. We have enough generation just from wind, just in Montana, Texas, and North Dakota alone. Power 100% of the North American energy grid, and we could power all of North America with a by putting panels, PVC panels, on an area 75 miles by 75 miles in the desert southwest. The problem is we can't transport the energy. Yeah, we don't have lines. We don't have batteries. Yeah. But let me just get to the new new issue. First of all, I he just said we can't transport the energy. See what I'm saying? We've got all these windmills all over the place and stuff. I don't. I think we should continue to explore nuclear power. And, but, and I'm all for nuclear power if you can ever make it safe and efficient. It's not safe. And if it were safe, they wouldn't, they would get an insurance policy. They can't, it's not, you know, it's, it, there, it's not a bunch of hippies in tie-dye t-shirts that's saying it's not safe. It's uh, guys in, in ties and suits from the AIG and Lloyds of London that says, that, who are saying, your industry is so risky that we will not even consider writing you an insurance policy. So the nuclear industry had to go to, you know, to uh, Washington, to the Capitol, and the, and the sleazy legislative maneuver in the middle of the night and pass the Price-Anderson Act, which immunizes all these plants from their own uh, accountability. So if, if the Indian Point power plant blows up, and irradiates all of the homes in Westchester County, New York, and Connecticut, and everybody in New York City makes New York City unpopulated, unpopulable for you know, the next 50 or 60 years. Who pays for that? It's not you know Con Edison. It's not the people who run the plant. The plant is inside. It's just like the vaccine companies do not have to pay for the, you know the the consequences of their recklessness. Oh, the, the company has no real incentive to make it safe because they're not liable for, you know, for injuries they cause. So, and by the way, if you look at the cost from Fukushima, New Indian Point is still leaking tri tritium every day into the Hudson River. Fukushima, if you look at Fukushima, there are, you know, anybody can go and Google the, the water, wastewater tanks of Fukushima. There's so much radiation going into the Pacific that they now, the only way of dealing with it is building water tank after water tank, and they go all the way to the horizon. And, you know, and you look at what happened at Chernobyl. So, but ultimately, the ultimate arbiter of risk is the insurance industry. And the insurance industry is saying that in the nuclear industry is too, too, um, is too risky for us to insure. Now, is it economic? No. The last, I think, two plants built, one of them cost nine $9 billion per gigawatt. The other cost $16 billion per gigawatt. The solar plant cost one. Did you hear him? He said $16 billion per gigawatt of electricity from those plants. Okay, that's why my head really snapped off there. One billion a gigawatt, and then you get free fuel forever. So the wind and the sun are free. A wind plant costs about $1.1, $1.2 billion a gigawatt. A new plant is 15 times what a uh, wind or solar plant does. And the new plant, you know, people say, well, it's variable outage, variable power, you're not getting power all the time. The same with a new plant. The new plant 
spend too much time here necessarily going through this. But, but, <laughs> but I, understand, I understand your objection. Let me just, say, of one cost. Let me yeah. just say one. That's kind of passive aggressive behavior, isn't it? He kept egging him on to talk about nuclear, and then he says, well, this is classic uh, abusive kind of behavior. And it's, it's interesting when they do it to each other, right? Because obviously the agenda here is let's get RFK Jr. to talk about nuclear, right? <laughs> At all costs. Another cost. What the big cost is storing the waste, which has to be stored for 30,000 yes. years, which is five times the length of recorded human history. If you had to internally, an, uh, no, there's no utility on Earth. Uh, today, we'll build a nuclear power plant unless it essentially is fully subsidized. A massive subsidy, and I don't think that's uh, you know, a good way to allocate public resources. So part of, part of the argument in favor of nuclear energy that even a lot of environmental activists have come around to at this moment is that the potential consequences of climate change are so dire that even though they recognize some of the, the risks and the problems, especially the, you know, what do you do with the waste issue that you're pointing to here, the thought is, okay, but this is the tech we have, and climate change has these dire consequences uh, we, we're, already, we, we, we're already living through. So what I want to hear from you is, you know, what is your view of the climate crisis, and what is your view of Joe Biden's reaction to that crisis? Do you think he's done too much, too little, or he's been about right? Well, let me, you know, let me just comment on, on your first question. <laughs> if I'm not saying that we shouldn't spend money to avert, you know, climate or to, you know, to have cleaner air. But why wouldn't you take the cheapest way of doing that? You sure. know, and, and so how do you nuclear, supply nuclear chain. energy yeah. promised us at the outset that they were going to be too cheap to meter. This is what they've been saying for 60 years. Right. And instead, they've given us the most expensive way to boil a pot of water that has ever been devised by humanity. Why would you get, have the most expensive solution when there is cheaper solution? Oh. I think they better pull RFK Jr. off of the topic of nuclear in the future. <laughs> this is not going well for <laughs> the pro-nuclear people trying to interview him. So far cheaper what do you think of uh, Joe Biden with the so-called Inflation Reduction Act? There have been a lot of subsidies put into the to solar and wind uh, in particular to try to move towards a clean energy future. Do you think he's done enough? Do you think he's done too much? What do you make of it? Well, you know, here? the problem is I, I think that you know, energy ought to be able to stand on its own. It's okay for a nation to um, to subsidize a new in industry mm -hmm. uh, for national security reasons or to or to um, to greenhouse an industry that you want to you know that you want to uh, be, be, have become self-sufficient. So I think there are there are really good reasons to subsidize industries, particularly in their nascent stages. But it gets more difficult when you're subsidizing mature industries. The problem with the market is that the carbon industry is so heavily subsidized. Um, it, I think the IMF or the World Bank uh, estimates that the subsidies to the carbon industry is, are about 5.2 trillion a year globally. And, uh, and so that distorts, that sends a signal out that distorts the whole marketplace. Sure. So instead of, of choosing the cheapest energy, we're now having to subsidize the competitors to, right. to bring them up to the... Don't disagree with you there. But just, I'm trying to get a sense of, I mean, what is your view of the climate crisis and what level of investment is worth, you know, putting in to deal with it? Do you see it as an existential threat? What is your view there? Uh, I, I believe that climate is a existential threat. But 
insist other people believe that. And one of the problems with the climate crisis, and, le and let me tell you, because on the areas of vaccines and public health and a lot of environmental issues, I, you know, have made myself an expert the way that attorneys always do when they're arguing a case. I'm, I understand the science. I can read the science critically. I cannot do that with climate science. So I'm left kind of taking other people's words. I think most people are in the same situation. We're all, you know, basically saying, okay, 99% of scientists are saying, and, and the published science are saying this is, you know, the climate crisis is existential and, it's, and it is being created by anthropogenic uh, carbon production. Um, I can't independently verify that, but the reason I believe it, because, and I also know, in the, particularly the past three years, people, you know, we've seen how science, particularly federally funded science, can be corrupted. And this is what the critics of, you know, the sort of the Republican right is saying. We don't believe anything that federal science says anymore. And I can't go to them like I can with vaccines or pharmaceuticals or other environmental issues and say, you're wrong, and I can explain to you exactly why you're wrong. I can't do that. But I have seen in the 19, you know, these documents in the 1970s were Exxon's own science. Exxon had scientists working for them that prided themselves on knowing more about the fate of the carbon molecule and the environment than anybody else. And during that time in the 70s, they were saying to their bosses and the Exxon management, we, if we continue to burn carbon the way that we are, we are going to warm the globe. And that actually is going to be a bad thing for humanity, but it's going to be a great thing for our company because we're going to melt the Arctic and there's a tremendous amount of oil under the Arctic, and we're going to be able to exploit it. So you had people who were on the industry side back in the 70s who were saying, this is real now. In my campaign, I'm not going to be talking a lot about uh, climate. Well, that's the end of the nuclear part of it. So, yeah, um, I think they might want to consider having him rework his wording because it's starting to make it look suspicious. But all in all, people don't listen very clearly at all. So... Um, probably won't get missed, probably will get missed by most. But anyways, not my point. I just wanted to record that things to look out for, right? It's all about the subsidies, right? So, subsidies, money out of taxpayers' pockets, into their pockets. I've been saying for years now, we are in effect paying for our own eugenics. And just for fun today, I'm going to be closing this up in a second here. I have a mind puzzle for you to think about. What I was thinking about this week, police dogs, you know, dogs that they say will sniff, sniff things. The cops of this country use police dogs, okay? And what they do is like, let's say they pull you over by the side of the road and let's say they suspect something. Let's say they suspect you've got some marijuana on you or something like that, okay? What they'll do is they'll use the threat of the police dog because a police dog isn't necessarily with that officer, okay? They may have to go get the police dog to come sniff your car. So they can use the threat of the police dog to get you to agree to let them check your car, right? They can say, well, I think that we smell marijuana coming out of your car and we can settle this right now and let me inspect your car or we can wait to have the police dog come 
and sniff your car. And the police dog could take a long time to come. And they have figured out that the waiting time for the police dog isn't like illegally holding you anywhere, right? So this whole police dog thing has kind of a scam around it, right? So, but let me ask you this. How do you think police dogs know what smells like what? Um, and have you noticed that when, um, go, go look at some videos today just for some fun and some mind relaxation. <laughs> look for videos about dogs, police dogs, okay? And what you'll notice is the police dogs will like run around the car and they jump up on things and stuff. But what they always do is when they find something, they sit, right? They sit there obediently. And usually the trainer will then give them a treat. Well, just think about that for today. If you've ever had a dog, I mean, I could teach a dog how to sit in the next two minutes, okay? By telling him to sit and rewarding that with a treat, right? So, and then also, I used to have this dog, a very smart little dog, and I taught her how to wave because she kind of started to do it on her own. And so what I did was, this is my, my extent of my dog training, <laughs> but what I did was, um, she was part terrier, so she would naturally want to try to wave. So what I did to reward that was with a treat, and then also I taught her that if all I had to do, if we were sitting out having coffee, all I had to do, and she's sitting on my lap, all I had to do was flick my finger. Just flick it. That's all I had to do, and she would start waving, right? So what I would do is when people would be walking up to say hi to us, I would flick my finger, and she would wave, and they thought it was like magic. Like, oh, your dog waves at me. She loves me the most. <laughs> well, I was cueing my dog to wave, okay? But nobody saw that I was cueing my dog to wave. So then I was thinking about these cops and these police dogs, and I thought, well, okay. <laughs> They want their reward, right? And so all, you, all they had to do, it, there's a hand signal for getting a dog to sit, okay? The hand kind of quickly flips up, right? So if you can give the dog that hand signal, get it to sit, then give it the reward, that's your claim that there's drugs in that car, right? And what they do is they'll either plant the drugs in your car to further prove their point, or if you argue back about this deal, what they'll say is, well, there were drugs in the car before. The dog was just picking up the smell of drugs before. <laughs> this is nothing but a big, big trick, okay? A trick in the sense of everything about it is a trick. And I would have to argue that it is a trick all the way down to the police dogs. So just for fun today, go look at some police, just, just look up police dogs, okay? And um, <laughs> watch how the police dogs will run around things and stuff and then they'll sit, right? The sit is supposedly the command. So in the meantime, be safe out there. Goodbye for now. And let's do a little bit of a dancing in the moonlight. Hey, my house right now, I swear, it is so bad that those added um, transformers, I think they're using some other kinds of gases, if I know correctly. But anyways, what can you do when this is happening? Well, you could just start dancing. And because I can't stand up to dance, I will play you a song about dancing. <laughs> because what else can we do but just keep those feet moving forward and take a break today. Figure out the puzzle of those police dogs. Do you agree with me? Do you think those dogs are part of the trick here? <laughs> I think the dogs are part of the trick. 
They will lie to us on every occasion they could possibly get, all as a means to destroy our DNA and to rob us, okay? Why they still want to destroy our DNA? Because they have done such a fabulous job on their own DNA. Look at Robert Kennedy Jr. Yeah, those are the kind of people that should be left in charge of DNA development. People who can't even get their own voices straight, right? Yeah, I, I elect these people to be in charge of DNA. They do have the DNA destruction down because I have to say, this new level of radiation is <laughs> quite interesting. This song is called Dancing in the Moonlight. Oh, and RFK Jr. also doesn't have a penis while I'm on the subject, okay? <laughs> the men arrive from the embryo being women. They arrive as men. They have to have a diet of testosterone for their entire life. And in worst case scenarios, they end up sounding like ah, rah, 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 rah. We get it almost every night. When that moon gets a big and bright, it's a supernatural delight. Every part of a dancing in the moonlight. Everybody here is out of sight. But they don't bark and they don't bite. They keep things loose. They eugenic stuff now haven't they we could have been dancing having fun enjoying each other and learning you know learning the ropes of being here on earth because we came from such an advanced society but what happened to us well we're here now we're staring at devices and people actually think another kennedy in the white house is a good idea i couldn't make this up if i spent the next hundred years kids actually borrow cups of sugar from their neighbor right now if you want a cup of sugar bring a gun <laughs> murder your neighbors <laughs> that's a general theme right but I want to think today of when we would be dancing in the moonlight so I'm quiet for now that's all I have to say goodbye for now and be safe out there
instead it's turned into a money pit <laughs> with everybody trying to murder each other and thinking that it seems to be okay to put up nuclear plants and to blast some of us with smart meters. This is where we've gone to, right? We could have been dancing all this time. Be safe out there. Goodbye for now.